0: What happens when a chef, a critic, and a culinary writer get together for a totally unscripted conversation? Welcome to Three Ingredients, a show about the world of food. I'm Ruth Reichel, and I've spent my whole life writing about it.
1: I'm Nancy Silverton, America's busiest chef, and the woman who made sourdough bread making a household obsession.
2: And I'm Lori Ochoa, General Manager of Food at the Los Angeles Times, and Happy Tripe Beater. Because if you're going to
0: eat meat, you shouldn't let the good parts go to waste. We're in Hawaii this week, at least Nancy is, and we talk about everything from native fruits to spam. I talk about the zen of pie making, Nancy gives a shout out to her favorite kitchen utensils, and Lori waxes poetic about why Jonathan fell in love with the island. Leaving Hawaii, we discuss why failure in the kitchen is a very good thing. Then it's on to the politics of pesto, along with a little trick that will make it look handmade, even if you cheat and use a food processor. By the way, all our episodes live over at threeingredients.substack.com, along with a bunch of bonus stuff, including written pieces and discussion threads. You can support the show there or sign up for free. So each episode of Three Ingredients lands right in your email. That's threeingredients.substack.com.
1: Yeah, so I did a cooking demonstration yesterday, and we're doing a dinner on Tuesday. Uh, So, what did uh, you demonstrate? So, I dem- you know, whenever I demonstrate these days, I try to pick things that people will actually make at home, you know, and I always tell the class that when I was sort of younger and less confident um, and I felt like I needed to show off, I would demonstrate these things that had so many um components that you knew no one would ever make at home, right? But there I got to show my skill and let them know who I was and I knew what I was doing. And as I think I got older and more confident and more realistic, I started to demonstrate crowd pleasers, but things that people would make at home. So yesterday I did um, the mozza caprese and I also gave everybody a book. So it's the caprese that's on the cover of the mozza cookbook. And then I did fatunta, which I think I talked about in a couple episodes, which is truly my favorite four ingredient recipe. Uh, of garlic bread drowned in olive oil. And then I did olive oil cakes. And it was a 45-minute demonstration. And it went really well. You know, and it, it's not one, you know, you have to be careful that you're not relying on uh, equipment that, oh, no, doesn't have, they don't have or it breaks or it's not going to work. You know, you always want to set yourself up for success. And it always gives me the opportunity to talk about two of my favorite, I guess, utensils or pieces of equipment, uh, my beloved mortar and pestle and a microplane. Like those are two of the handiest kitchen items that don't plug in that I
0: love. Are you, st- are you still using that pharmacist's mortar yep. and pestle?
1: uh-huh. Still. Can you
0: carry that around with you? I, that- well,
1: actually, Juliet carried it in her suitcase because <laughs> my suitcase didn't have enough room. But I did carry it because, you know, not enough uh, restaurants have a mortar and pestle, which they should always have but so I describe do it with me.
2: Describe that mortar and pestle because you talked us into getting it and I love it, but tell, tell me. Do you which, still have uh, yours?
1: You, we still have ours. Yeah. yeah. And well, you first- gave
0: me one for Christmas one year yeah. and I still have it. Good. Yeah. And I say to everyone, even if you
1: never use it, it sure is beautiful on your counter, right? So it's much prettier than a food processor. But what I love about it is that it's so durable. It's made out of porcelain And it comes in varying sizes to a tiny one that you would probably use only to pestle peppercorns or something, very small, to ones that are more usable at home to like a giant fishbowl that we use at the restaurant. And I was first introduced to it at the Cordon Bleu in 1977. And it was the first piece of equipment, I see, I don't know, what do you call mortar and pestle, piece of equipment? Yeah, equipment. Yeah, okay. Yeah. A piece of equipment that I purchased when I realized I was serious about becoming a cook. But there it was used in all the pharmacies to blend pills. Yeah. You know, it was used in a farm, ph- it was a pharmacist's tool, but it's made out of porcelain. And I still have my original one and it doesn't break. You know, so many. Well, I like the ones that are not porous because nothing you know, gets caught in the crevices like um I understand the is it called the mocoheita or for making yeah, well, guacamole. You need all that really rough edges, right, to make that guacamole probably not smooth, but keep it mashed but chunky. Um but this one is completely smooth, but you can really have a firm grip on that pestle, you know, and and I love pounded sauces of all sorts, whether it's an ay- ayad from That's, you know, that sort of um, has its roots in uh, uh, France with the pounded garlic sauces to the nut sauces of Italy to the romescos of um, Spain. And I, you know, I make mayonnaise in them. I love them.
0: So are you of the the only pesto worth eating? Is pesto made in a pestle? Well, you know, uh,
1: first of all, that's where the name came from. But besides that, um, there's lots of reasons why I think, why I say yes. One is when somebody uses a food processor uh, to use one, what they get is a very blended, pureed, um, equal textured kind of sauce. And that defeats sort of the purpose. So I say, look, at if you have to use a food processor, I'll look the other way. But don't add all of your herb, whether you're making a basil pesto or a mint pesto or something like that. Don't process all of that, but chop a bunch up that you can add at the end. And so at least it looks like you made it by hand. But the other
0: thing you have to, um,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> but the other thing you, that you have to remember of why a pounded sauce and why that mortar and pestle is so important is when you pound your, your leaf into it, in this case, a basil leaf, you're pounding out all of the natural oils and you're getting a much more flavorful sauce. When you process it, it's a different action. You're not, re- you know, all those oils are not coming out. And then when you, you know, process garlic into a um food processor, the action of the blade heating up that sauce of whatever kind it is really kind of brings out that bitterness of the garlic, I find. So when you use a mortar and pestle, you don't, you don't, you release the oils, but you don't heat them up. So I do believe it. And I also think that, you know, and I think that both you and Lori, we will definitely agree that we all have those things that we make in the kitchen. And Ruth, I think of you making a pie, for instance, where you're using your hands and it's that time in the kitchen where you get to stop the chaos and kind of be at peace with kind of what you're doing. And that's what I find everything in a mortar and pestle does. Do you, does that make sense? Totally. Like when totally. you're rolling out dough or you know, or 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 filling that you know filling that mold, Lori. I don't know what your version is, it, but I'm sure you have a, many versions. And I'm only saying that about Ruth because I've watched her in the kitchen with her pie and that peaceful look. Well,
0: it's on so her interesting face. though. Pounding things doesn't do that for me. You know, it's such a violent. Well, th- it's violent, but it, it needs
1: your attention. Think of the difference if you pour all those ingredients into your food processor and. Push the button, pulse. You know, that's it. It's over. But the the process of pounding and moving it is it's an active active exercise, but it also causes you. It, it, it's you're you're more involved than just pressing the button.
2: And the other thing about that particular mortar and pestle is that it has a very satisfying ring to I it like when God. you pound. <laughs> it kind of
1: it's, it's almost like a musical instrument, but. It, very percussive or the um what is the uh the the chanting you know like like that that
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that, that gong <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like it's like the american Indian yeah um, the the music that, for straight dancing, um, yep, you definitely get yeah. frustrations <laughs>
2: out,
1: yeah, and yeah. exercise, but um but it is, I understand what you're saying that it is it, it is vigorous and you do need to use your upper upper body strength, but still. It's something when you're done making it, you feel, again, more satisfying and more involved than just pressing that pulse button.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, making pie crust for me really is, I mean, it's so calm. It's so quiet. And there's something about the way it all comes together. I mean, you're actually with your hands yep, in making that. And it smells so great. And It's a completely different kind of smell. It's a very subtle smell. But. I do love making pie dough. I would make pie every day if I could find people to eat pie every day. <laughs> but
2: so Ruth, you would never or do you ever make pie dough in a food processor?
0: No, I don't cuz I so, I mean so for me same- I I just I really love what happens when um first of all there's a kind of um uh magic to it. You know, if you put it in a food processor you're measuring things if you're just, you're, you're, you know, mixing um, fat and flour, and then you start adding ice water to it, you're, you're doing it by feel. Mm -hmm. So there's always a little bit of, is this going to be the perfect pie dough this time? Or, you know, is this going to be a leaker? And I kind of like that random quality that, you know, sometimes you just have a complete failure. And I think what part of what I like about cooking is that you know you you do fail sometimes. You sometimes just make a terrible meal and you move on. I mean that's the difference. I mean at, in a restaurant you can't do that. I mean you, you you need a certain degree of assurance that your guests are going to be happy. But well, they're paying for it, you know. They're paying for it. Yeah. So, but at home, have, yeah. You know, there's this sort of quality of you know I don't know. Yesterday I had to take a a dish to uh, a barbecue. And, you know, uh, my friend said, you know, bring a side dish. And I pulled a recipe just out of the paper, you know, oh, here's, here's, here's an interesting Southern salad. I ended up hating it, but. What was um, in it? It was broccoli. It was like, you know, you, you blanch the broccoli and then you add, you add mayonnaise, grated cheddar, um, golden raisins, um, sunflower seeds, a little bit of apple cider vinegar. And it just was not to my taste. And then you put bacon on the top. So the it's end. like a
1: broccoli coleslaw ish thing or kind of c- kind like, kind of like
0: carrot salad, like raisin and mayonnaise and carrot salad. Exactly. Of, Apparently it's a yeah. southern classic. And of course, you know, bacon at the end and you know, me, I, it's just. I, I don't know. I thought, oh, barbecue, this will be a crowd pleaser. Yeah, and in right. fact, it was a crowd pleaser. It sounds,
1: yeah, it's, you know, sometimes those things don't always translate, right? Uh, Cause like even when I'm in Hawaii, I find that I'm not a fruit eater in my food. I just have never been, you know, that mango, mango salsa or that pineapple in my, you know, fruit with food is just not my thing. And as much as I try to like it, I don't. And so sometimes it's hard when I'm here to, you know, navigate a menu because so much of it incorporates fruit.
0: You mean like sauces? It's interesting. Yeah. You know, there are no native fruits in Hawaii. You know, the only thing that's really native to there is taro.
1: But not like, so you're saying like, I mean, I, I didn't even realize that. And by the way, those taro, um roots are beautiful. So you're saying like pineapple was not native and no, and no. um mango and that's all brought they in. They just grow here. They grow oh. here cuz of the
0: climate. Uh yeah, but they have to bring the water in too. I mean it, yeah. it it's I mean Hawaii is naturally I think pretty dry. But um yeah, no that was all I mean that was all brought in there. I mean So was coffee? Was
1: was coffee around? I mean, because like I'm, uh, they're you know they're very known for their like Kona is really known for their coffee, yeah, I right? I don't think Do you know? there was
0: coffee there either. You um, know, I went I, to
1: the I, farmers market here because I find wherever I go, you've got to find a farmers market, right? It just grounds okay. you, don't you think? But this is probably one of the most humblest farmers markets I've ever been. I mean, there were true farmers that came, and um, but they all had very clearly very very small uh farms, right? And so they would take the trouble to bring what they had picked or what they were selling, but they were the smallest tables with the smallest amount of produce. And you're thinking, wow, at the end of the day, what do they make? Like $28? You know, like two little heads of lettuce and one basket of this and a few of these. And there they are with all the enthusiasm of every farmer I ever meet at a farmer's market. And yet, I don't know if this is supporting them.
2: And did they have interesting fruit to sell or
1: well it, it it let me think was it it wasn't that it was interesting and I know it was at the end of say like tomato season and lettuce season but yes I saw taro uh and yes I saw you know some different kinds of greens nothing that I hadn't seen really before lots of people selling eggs cuz there's like Chickens, wild chickens on this island. Some, you know, some boat must have capsized years ago. And this island is just full of chickens. Do people eat them? Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, there's chicken on every menu. I'm not sure if there's people going out shooting all the chickens, but they sure are running around and people definitely have, um, eggs. I saw, let's see, lemongrass. I'm trying to think of, um, I did see carrots. And a few radishes. But I'm just saying the smallest um, amounts, you know, that you really, they can't be making their living. And that farmer's market is um, just on Saturdays.
2: When you mentioned tarot, Ruth, do you remember one of the first pieces I ever wrote for you was on poi? And I called I do the not poi. I remember that. Yeah, it was one of the, I think, because, and I, Called up the poi bowl in Hawaii and asked them about, you know, because there was this thing about two-finger poi and three-finger poi, meaning the thickness, and then about how it was fermented. And um, I quoted a, a passage from Bobsey Twins of Volcano Land
1: because it was one of Jonathan's <laughs> favorite kids' books. But <laughs> why did you write about poi for Ruth? You mean for the L.A. Times?
2: Yeah, I used to do these pieces that would kind of be – something to go with the review that Ruth would write or something. And I think you were doing something on Roy's. um, I was going to say Roy. Which just. Uh, You mean Roy Yamaguchi. Yeah. Yeah. And there was. Who's still the
1: king of Hawaii, by the way. Well, there was
2: one in Pasadena that just shut down. But so, yeah, it lasted a long time. And Nancy, do you remember when we were in Hawaii? Years and years ago. Cuisines of the
1: Sun, it was called.
2: Yeah. For some reason, I had it in my head to try to take Jonathan for his birthday someplace where he wouldn't think about food as much. And I was thinking, well, you know, the touristy food of Hawaii, that kind of stereotype. Certainly, you know, it it, it he can just relax and not, not have to think about restaurants. But of course, we get there and it's the end of this food festival that Nancy and Mark were cooking in. So we... We go there and meet them. And uh, then there's this fantastic organic farm that was having a luau. What was that one?
1: Right. Yes. Uh Uh-uh. Don't remember the name, but you talking about it. I remember we went up the mountain somewhere and they were, there was a large farm that grew a lot of lettuces. And didn't they have a luau up there? Yes.
2: And, and, you know i had been to hawaii as a kid with my mom and had been to you know hotel luaus which were very you know the food was not the point at those you know hotel luau luaus but this food suddenly you realize oh there is a real interesting cuisine to hawaii that the food was fantastic um and it felt so real it was it was not you know this whole show of you know you know hula dancers and the Stereotypical way, but re- you know, really interesting dancing. And Mark was dancing with Vanessa. Is mm-hmm. wait, still <laughs> I think about. He was just like the best dad, and um, <laughs> it was before we had kids. And um, you know, and it was just like this beautiful party and fantastic food. And of course, Jonathan then started looking for plate lunch places, and he went back with. Roy Choi to look at, you know, you know all the food there and it it was just a, it was a great trip. Yeah, I think, you know, I
1: think that uh kind of because it's such a touristy place obviously and there's uh the the luaus at so many of those large hotels are are pretty cheesy, but it's true there is there are people that cook really well. I mean, that pig was buried in the dirt and you know, it was really uh it was really a, a a terrific time and that was on uh the big island which um is a it's a beautiful island itself but it uh it's interesting how many transplants especially from california that i've been running into at this at this hotel you know and then uh tomorrow night we're having our uh, our big dinner you know and they tr- they like it when we come here and i uh, you know, I, Roy Yamaguchi has this uh, Hawaiian food and wine festival along with Alan Wong every year. And I've been coming for 10 years. I'm actually missing it for this year. It raises money for all, uh, culinary, um, education all, in all the different islands. And, um, they always say, please use, um, local ingredients. So I try to use the lettuces and they have goat cheese, uh, on some of the different islands, but sometimes it's hard to find. Ingredients to use because again I don't use a lot of those fruits in my in my cooking. So we're doing. I mean, we're lo- using local fish and whatever the catch of the day is tomorrow. We'll be we'll be using. They have a lot of boar on this island apparently, which I didn't know because maybe I would have tried. You know, we make boar ragus at the restaurant. I, I I didn't know they had so many wild boar. But do
0: they have a problem with boars? like they do in Texas?
1: You know, I don't know if they do, and they have that problem definitely in Italy, but I'm not I'm not sure if they have a problem.
0: You know, because it's a terrible problem in Texas. About them what, with crops or? With crops and, and you know, they, they multiply so rapidly yeah. and they just sort of take over and, you know, they try and have these big bore shoots and you know, get just to get to come, rid of them, right? Just to get rid of them because they, they, you know, they maraud all the crops and, um, it's hard to keep ahead of them. You know, I mean, pigs are, are, they're very good at survival. You know, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're all, you know, they're all basically, you know, they were pigs, domesticated pigs that got loose and, you know, went out into the wild and had a great time and multiplied like crazy. Well, yeah. Cause the board that's sold in, you know, domestically, I know comes out of Texas
1: because we use, we buy frozen boar and we make our boar goose, But I know certainly in, you know, Umbria where I, you know, spend my time in Italy, that's wild boar area. And they're definitely are very destructive to the farms um, around my, around my town.
0: Yeah. So, didn't didn't you guys go back, Lori, and do a piece about Alan Wong for Gourmet? I remember Jonathan.
2: Jonathan doing this did, piece. He, and yeah. he went. He went. I mean, he went with Roy Choi, also. You? Yeah he he wrote it. He wrote about. Uh, he definitely went back. He ended up loving it there. Yeah.
1: Jonathan, because it doesn't seem quite like that would have been in his palette, right? Exactly. You wouldn't think, but he loved it. There's, yeah, there's a couple, uh, I think it's, um, in Oahu, probably these lunch spots that they're very well known for. And I know that there they, you know, they use a lot of spam and that's, uh, you, oh, you see yeah. a lot of that here. And that's, uh, that's an ingredient or is it an ingredient or is it a food or what is it? What would you, what category do you put spam in?
0: I don't, I have never had spam. I have, I, that's what I said.
1: And, and I tasted a little bite recently, not here, it might have been my last trip to Hawaii because I hadn't and Liz you know Liz Hong, our chef who loves spam spam, was very appalled by the fact that I had never eaten spam, and I hadn't because it wasn't something first of all, the idea of getting meat in a can is just a little bit. We talked about fish in <laughs> fish in tins, which is a, was a little bit more appealing for some reason, but meat in a tin just isn't. So you never had it? Have you had it, Lori?
2: Oh, absolutely. Do when you I like was a it? Kid, I mean, I had spam oh. and
1: and Ham. was it because it was and, well. Yeah. I remember Underwood devil ham. I've had de- deviled ham, yeah. definitely. And I used to love it. I haven't had it in years, but, but it's yeah. like Riette, right? Is it like yeah. Riette? I mean, my yeah. I know. Growing up, my friends had it, and I would always say to my mother, I would beg her to buy it, and she would never. Never buy. It. it was Underwood Deviled Ham. Is that the brand? Uh, yeah, or- and
0: I, yeah, and I can see that little devil with, yeah. with his pitchfork. But yeah. what does deviled ham
1: mean, by the way? Why is it deviled? Isn't it deviled spicy or no?
0: This was
2: not spicy. Yeah.
1: What was yeah. it though? But I mean, it's spreadable, right? A spreadable. Yeah, spreadable. So, it kind so of, it's yeah. kind of like a Riette. it Was kind of ham goo. Ham goo, right. <laughs> but which is opposed to ham slice. Yes, Ham loaf, um, or like, yeah. um, but what is what is in spam? Is spam pork or beef based or?
0: A spam ingredient list. Oh, there are many. Oh my God, there are many varieties of spam. Spam classic, spam light, spam maple, spam less sodium, spam bacon, spam oven roasted turkey, hickory spam. What do you think uh, the name
1: came from, though?
0: Honestly, don't know, um, but I want to know what's in it.
2: Well, I think it must come from ham being a part of it.
1: Oh, very right. good, Lori. And what's there's some a uh, uh, Hawaiian sort of wow delicacy that I think it's a bun filled with spam. Do you know the Musubu. name? Musubu. There, you. How do you know that, Ruth?
0: Because I have seen it at the farmers market in Alhambra. There's a whole Musubu stand, and I stood there trying to figure out what it was. And it's kind of like a, a sushi roll with spam in it.
1: Liz yeah, also loves sushi. that. And they sell it at all the grocery stores, you know, those musubi rolls, which is, is that anything? Sounds like, like, like not the equivalent of, because I've never actually been to all the places that listen, hero, oh love where they buy the Japanese sandwiches. Oh, right. Is that like a on, onigiri?
0: It's, it's nothing, kind of it's, like that. It's kind of where like it's that. like oh, a, it's quick, yeah, quick food. Yeah. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I love those little onigiri. There's, there's little, and I love, you know, the, the, the packaging on them where, you know, they're wrapped so that the cellophane protects the, keeps the nori from touching the rice. So. You pull it out and it's still crisp. It, mm. It's great packaging,
1: but that's a uh, a sushi
0: roll. I mean, I'm t- is it's that the same like as them a sandwich? little triangular, triangular sandwiches? Right, sandwiches. Yeah. yeah, with rice inside, and then you know, um you know, umaboshi in it, or you know, sometimes tuna, various things. But they're delicious little snacks. I love them.
1: Well, that's kind of like. Their version here, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Have we have
2: we exhausted Hawaii now? <laughs> I think for the moment. Someday I'll I'll go back and find the spam menu.
0: Production services for three ingredients are provided by Voltage. It is produced by J.E. Peterson and edited and mixed by Ness Smith sabadoff The music for this show was provided by Alex Master Nardi and Richard Farrell. Before you go, Don't forget to join us at threeingredients.substack.com if you haven't already. It's a great place to ask your burning culinary questions, share your own food stories, and meet other people obsessed with food. We love hearing from you. Thanks again, and keep cooking.